Welcome to the Leader to Leader podcast from Chime, where we bring you the top innovators in digital health leadership with your host, the president and CEO of Chime, Russ Branzell. Hello and welcome to the Leader to Leader podcast, a Chime Foundation series where we bring you the best of the best in digital health leadership. I'm Russ Branzell, your host for this podcast and the president and CEO of Chime, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. No matter what the challenges are in our industry, it takes great leaders to not only address those, but really turn them into opportunities, even while they're preparing us for the future that we have to deal with. Today, we have two of the most amazing leaders. They are outstanding outstanding industry executives who are passionate about the IT digital health strategy and execution in healthcare. They are both valuable members of our Chime Board of Trustees, truly industry experts, and all-around respected leaders in our industry. I also count them as dear friends and dear mentors of mine. I am pleased to welcome Carter Groom, the Chief Executive Officer at First Health Advisory, and their newly appointed Chief Strategy Officer, George Buddy Hickman, who's also, while doing that, serving as the interim Vice President CIO at Harris Health System in Houston, Texas. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Chime, for the gracious intro. And uh, I'm just glad to be here with Buddy and, and talk with you today, Russ. Uh, ditto. I, I always enjoy the time doing these podcasts with you, Russ. And it's a, indeed a pleasure to get to share one with Carter. Well, well, gentlemen, this, this could be a bit of a dangerous uh, podcast today with uh, th- three of us together who know each other all too well. Uh, there is that scientific concept out there called hyperbolic law, which means you bring some inert things together and who knows what might explode. So let's just explore a few areas and see what happens here uh, as we get through this. And uh, um, Carter, I'm going to start with you. Uh, First Health Advisory has been around for a while. It's been a very successful organization and served a lot of people, but you've made some pivots, some changes over the last few years. I'd love to get, give you a chance to kind of say who the new uh, First Health Advisory really is. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, First Health is a managed security and, and technology advisory for all things digital health. And, and so that includes commercial work, government work, provider, retail health, even life sciences organizations. Everything that these organizations are doing to transform their technology must account for security and privacy and and risk management. And that's what we specialize in. Well, Buddy, then it makes a lot of sense uh, as you've joined this organization. And first, congratulations on joining them. Um, You've been doing this for a little while. I don't want to say you're old, but you've you've been a healthcare executive and a a true mentor and and purveyor of wisdom for a long time in our industry. And now in this new role, uh, it seems like a really perfect fit. So uh, tell us a little bit about your new role and what you're going to be doing at this this organization. Well, you, you said it right. I've been doing this for a while. I think uh, I'm just shy of 25 years as a sitting CIO in healthcare. And, you know, I also spent 12 years by between two of the big four consulting firms having been a healthcare IT partner with one of them. Um, in terms of what I'll be doing, you know, clearly there's the need to continually look at direction and strategy. And Carter has invited me in to work with the team as we do that constant uh, reassessment and course adjustment about the things we're doing. We certainly have 
some substantial core competencies, and uh, we believe we're doing great work. But we know we want to continue to extend that into other areas. I imagine some of those areas will con uh, continue along the paths of uh, the evolution that we're seeing with digital health, uh, the movement from being in one place to being global and dealing with all sorts of IOMT and the need to secure that in whatever setting it happens to reside in, uh, but also the governance around all that, whether it be security governance or governance in terms of how do you, how do you manage the portfolio, manage all that risk that goes with that as you're deciding what new things uh, you should invest in. Uh, as to how that will happen, we'll, we'll see. I, you know, I like to think of myself as someone who doesn't get surprised very often at this point, having done this for a while. I think about a lot of my colleague peers, some of them uh, that I've known for years are amongst the best of the best in the industry. And I consider myself privileged to continue dialogue with them uh, with perhaps the opportunity by the exchange that we figure out ways to continue to better the industry and our own organizations. And then as for those that are up and comers, I would just say, you know, people like me, people like my colleague Piers Carter, you, Russ, you know, part of our jobs is to help those uh, newer and upcoming uh, technology, help digital executives find their voice and get centered and seated so that they can grow the kind of careers that we've had opportunity to. Well, that's, that's a great point, buddy, as you make that. And you think about what's going on in our industry, even from a from an executive perspective, but really even more at a macro level. And yeah, we've got lots of new titles and chief digital officers and health information officers, and you can just make more titles up every single day. But what we are seeing with that is there's there seems to be a, a and I think it does kind of parallel the boomer retirement exodus in the industry, but we are seeing an, an exodus of the early generation and, and the people that were there in that first batch of people, most of them are either retired or entering into those prime retirement years. We are seeing huge exodus of wisdom um, that does present some huge challenges for us in the industry as people are going into jobs early. But then as we all know, the labor shortages right now are not just uh, in nursing and it, it's pervasive and difficult in nursing to say the least, but it really is industry-wide and it's globally. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on on this is at a macro level. Maybe we'll start with you, Carter. Um, as you see this as an industry uh, really stumbling block from progressions, whether that's cybersecurity or advancement and overall organizational strategy, how you see this shortage happening. And then Buddy, maybe for you, how you see with your colleagues, with your peers, the people you've been standing side by side, where the opportunities are to maybe to find some efficiencies and to help each other. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Russ. You know, we're, we're seeing this, uh, you know, challenge very acutely across our client base. Uh, you know, and, and when you think about the executive IT positions and CIOs, there, there's a lot of movement more than I think I've ever seen in my time and, and, and maybe even Buddy's time in these positions uh, and then when you think of security and technology, that's even more of a challenge because there wasn't the talent to begin with uh, when you think of, of those types of roles. And so the staffing issues that are occurring on the IT side are just compounding the challenges overall from an enterprise perspective in those provider organizations that we're working with. And so it's, it's created 
an opportunity for us, but there's also just you know so many challenges uh, that these organizations are facing fiscally, operationally, and just you know from a, a patient care perspective. But uh, I'll, I'll allow Buddy to, to jump in on that one. Well, I'll, I'll add, uh, first of all, the thought that, that you spun in there, Russ, around the generational uh, shift. I think that's happening across the entire C-suite. It's not unique to the CIO, chief digital officer uh, role. And it's just a matter of it's, if it's time for change, given uh, generational change. Now, layer new leadership uh, stepping in at a time when we're dealing with a global pandemic and sort of the post-pandemic that we've seen consequences that have come economically. Some of the matters that we're dealing with uh, in addressing the stress around equities, social equities that uh, have been with us since all time, yet uh, seem to be cresting again at an apogee whereby we might see some change. And then management of these physical circumstances, the physical circumstances, one maybe that is post-pandemic, but also the global economic stress that we're seeing as compounded by the situation in Russia and Ukraine, uh, as well as other you know, places of strife. It's created a different dynamic, certainly across the last two years for any uh, integrated delivery network, many of which are feeling a lot of financial stress right now. And uh, that may also be a, a part of the, the change, the change happening in the C-suite for one, but two, the effects of that then on the workforce in the whole, because you start thinking about the stress on our caregivers um, and how that has been compounded at the same time. It seems as though at times we might be, you know, again, at a breaking point if we don't find our way uh, through some of these matters. An additional thought is that we you know, stood up all manner of capabilities at early on in the pandemic that were beyond what we would ever thought would have been the pace of change that we might have been delivering day to day. And it shows sort of the real heroic capacity that we have. I say heroic because heroism is difficult to sustain, uh, but nonetheless, a capacity for change that demonstrate a sort of resilience and infragility like we hadn't seen in a long time. But that has the consequences, uh, a consequence of emotional uh, stress, and, uh, and that has been a big player in what we see now as a downturn in our workforce. So we have to come up with ways wherever we can be creative, I feel most of the caregivers because they, they are always on the front line dealing with the biggest challenges that we deal with in this industry. And on the other hand, where we have the ability uh, to be flexible about the work circumstances that we create, certainly that is the case with our technology workers. We have to find those uh, capabilities to be flexible, flexible uh, for the purpose of harvesting talent and uh, having people use their gifts and, and feel satisfied in the conduct of doing it. Well, Carter, let me pull on that thread a little bit for you and putting it back over to you now. I mean, we, we are obviously, and I think uh, as the time of this recording, uh, we are officially in a recession. Uh, we've uh, dealt with some of the highest inflation in a short period in the history of the United States. And as Buddy so well mentioned, just the financial pressures due to staffing issues and nursing cost overruns. But with every challenge, there's an equal and opposite opportunity on the other side. And I've heard you talk many times 
that this is the time to sharpen our edges and think differently. And, and is this really the time, especially for the small and rural, medium-sized health systems, this is the time maybe to consider alternative things. You've talked about cloud hosting. You've talked about managed services, consolidation, coopetition. You know, I'd love to give you a chance maybe to pull on a couple of those. I know you're a big proponent of managed services in particular. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, and I, look, we all as stewards of, of organizations that are leading in this space, watching the macroeconomic landscape, landscape very closely. That being said, we haven't seen the acute pain in the types of advisory and services that we provide. There's, there are certainly spot organizations that may have had challenges uh, you know, prior to this summer from a fiscal perspective, but broadly, we've not seen a slowdown in overall interest or buying in managed services around technology, around security, and the things that, that we do. Now, uh, you know, that may be a lagging effect that would come back, uh, you know, in a new budget year, whether that's a calendar year or even, uh, you know, perhaps a fourth quarter fiscal year start, but I still see strength in, you know, at least reducing enterprise risk. And, and I'm, I'm optimistic that, you know, as an industry, we'll get through these challenging times. Um, and, and, you know, I think the second point is perhaps the reason why managed services are more attractive today is it's allowing those organizations to focus on the core product of, of what they do, whether it's a provider organization, a retail health organization, life sciences, as I mentioned before, who we work with, they want to focus on their core business. And so IT and security, and we've had this conversation for many, many years, are not within that frame. And if they can you know, provide or, or at least get a trusted organization to provide that service and, and we do a good job of that, then um, yeah, I think that type of model is going to be around for quite some time and be successful. Yeah, maybe a last thought from you, buddy, on this is it, it's not just a survival strategy. Maybe it's a thrive strategy for people as they look differently. You know, you're still doing this today as you, you've done a couple interim positions, in particular now at Harris. Is this one of those things that almost every CIO or digital health leader has got in their playbook now, which is looking for alternative ways to provide services, not only less expensive, but maybe even higher quality than they have before? Well, if, if not, uh, certainly it needs to be in the playbook. Clearly, having strategies to assure that the technology organization is able to balance supply and demand is key. My view right now is, is while we may have supply constraints, meaning our ability to you know, deliver throughput based on how we're staffed or whatever, uh, there seems to be an unlimited demand uh, coming with you know, the notions of all things digital. Uh, and somewhere in there, we have to find that balance. Yet that you know, one way to find the balance certainly is to create good governance structures, Expect that governance really speaks to vision and not just vision, but shared vision, vision that's shared across the executive suite in the best of circumstances. Uh, shared vision that's also agile as it needs to be, but also understands the need to be principally based. Uh, and that's one way to get there. 
And then while you're doing that in parallel, obviously you have to look for opportunities at home in the technology organization that allow IT to lead and even role model the ability to you know, find new paths and paths that are more efficient, cost efficient, while also expecting that they're always effective. You know, and I just, Ross, I didn't build on, you know, what Buddy was saying, just a, another thought while he was talking is there's an unequivocal impact that, you know, just the business model from a pandemic perspective uh, to provide virtual services has had on the managed services conversation where the organizations that we're working with are much more open to delivering the services that we do remotely. And, and, you know, where we used to work with organizations that would say, yeah, we need someone here on site Monday through Thursday, every week, uh, that that's completely turned upside down. And when it saves cost and it's more efficient and there's trust in the deliverable, it works well. And so I'd, I'd say it's absolutely had an impact here in the last two years on how services are delivered. Yeah, I just, I you know, you, you spur me to, to mention that, you know, we're seeing more and more movement to remote. Uh, the remote constraint probably is now more often not working across state lines because of, you know, tax and, and, and you know, reporting consequences that have to be managed as a result of that and all the things you have to stand up and give to it. But working within a state and then having, you know, a spread of geography is, is becoming very common. A key enabler to that, I believe, is making sure that you have first in a very, very good onboarding process so that you, in a very systematic way, settle everyone in, assure that the mentoring is there, assure that uh, there is someone preceptoring the new person, especially with, uh, with lesser competency development that needs that help, uh, you know, shepherding them through those first three months to get them settled in well. And then clearly beyond that, given the remote nature, you got to give a lot of care to uh, what you do for the sake of retention and, and keeping people feel connected. I'm, I'm always reminded of a, a thought that hit me recently. There's a big difference and being remote and being isolated. And we've got to assure that people are not isolated. All right. So right off the 2022 analytics system from Chime, Lily, right out of the computer system as part of our digital health most wired survey, without a doubt, not even close to the next score, the number one concern area, the number one focus area, the number one thing that keeps them up at night uh, our leaders have reported and their organization reported it's cybersecurity. Uh, and I think if we let them, they would have made number one, number two, and number three cybersecurity uh, in this. Why, Carter, is healthcare getting the crud beat out of them and attacked every single day? I mean, what's going on? Why are we in uh, such a prime target? Gosh, you know, I mean, we could do an entire series of, of webinars as to why. Uh, but, you know, certainly there's a couple key factors. Uh, it's very complex. Healthcare is complex and that complexity creates opportunity for bad actors. So we, we, we kind of know that. Then the challenges of the clinical environment of care and the assets that support that care. When we think about medical devices, IoT devices, they're much more vulnerable than 
traditional assets within a, a you know another type of organization, retail, finance, et cetera. And then you know, I think first and foremost, we're talking about people. We're talking about patients, and and that is the primary concern here. And it creates a vulnerability that makes healthcare delivery organizations prone to you know these types of attacks because of the nature of what we're doing. And so I think you wrap all of that up, and there's probably you know a hundred more things we could talk about in terms of why, right? That we would as uh, a, a critical infrastructure sector be more apt to pay or uh, you know ransom is what I'm talking about here, but to negotiate because we need to get that information, those devices, those assets back online to provide care. Uh, so I think that sits atop all of this. And you know, there's really not been, if I'm being honest here, an incentive for some organizations other than to protect their balance sheet and their patients to do something about this. And, and this is you know, at the core of a, a personal mission of mine to find some way to incentivize you know, these what I call have not organizations. There are very large organizations that are spending a lot of dollars on capability and maturity around security and privacy and risk. But many, many of these organizations, I'd say over 50% are just doing nothing about it because there's no incentive to do anything about it. And they think they're not going to get hit. And that's, you know, that's the furthest thing from the truth. And you can tell I'm passionate about this, Russ, but I, I truly believe to actually move the needle on this, we're going to have to find some mechanism to either fund or, or incentivize organizations to build their security uh, capability. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have the same conversation next year and in five years. So, so buddy, you've been sitting on the front line now for, uh, for about two decades plus, and uh, it used to be there were little arrows being shot at you and occasional darts and maybe some small firepower, and now all of a sudden they're dropping nukes on you in this world of cybersecurity. You literally are on the front lines and, and still are today is in, in the role you're in today as, as you transition in. You know, what's the approach you take to cybersecurity when you're helping an organization like this, when you're leading from the front lines? It, it, you know, one of the questions I get asked all the time is, can you spend too little? Can you spend too much? You know, it's almost the Goldilocks theory. What's the right amount to spend on cybersecurity? What's your approach, buddy? Well, okay, spend too little is a good question. In the health industry, our margins uh, tend to be very, very tight. And, and therefore, it's pretty safe to say that most health provider organizations are underspending on cybersecurity. When they're spending too much is when they're spending it the wrong way. I've seen organizations spend a lot of time and energy doing assessments and then not spending the same amount of time and energy doing the mitigations uh, or staying in a mode whereby uh, they've got good NIST scores around recovery, but they don't have good NIST scores around you know, detect and prevent. Uh, so there's an inversion. So you know, the best guidance is probably to familiarize those who aren't familiar with C-suite, with things like the NIST framework and other frameworks like that, 
But honestly, from my view, to do it in a way that is lay speak, to help them appreciate the things that could be done to get in front of the problem, while at the same time introducing to them, if they haven't been introduced, to the source of the problem or where the problem's coming from, in fact, it truly is a global nation state concern. The audiences that listen to this podcast know that. Uh, it is our colleagues in the C-suite that may need that additional help and understanding. I would offer that the federal agencies out there are friends to us and also will help in that mission of education where needed uh, because that also uh, is another way to get the kind of attention that you might want with the most senior people uh, to help them appreciate the kind of movement that we need to see in this industry. You know, the typical health provider organization, Ross, if you look at the, the NIST framework overall as a Likert score of you know, one to five, we sit smidge above three on average, if you average all the scores. And that just means we got some repeatable process. It doesn't speak to any of them being leading practice or highly automated or otherwise. That's why we've got a problem. So let's shift a little bit about this, because with every problem, there's a leadership problem as well and a leadership opportunity to, to capitalize on that. And as you, as you think about this concept of governance, it seems that topic, that word kind, kind of becomes scary for people. It's, oh, governance, that sounds big and fancy and structural and, you know, all these rules when really governance is just leadership leadership in, in whatever situation. And that seems to be the number one challenge right now for our digital health executives out there, no matter what their role description might be. Uh, as we look at helping organizations change and change dramatically in the way they operate. And so I'd love to hear from you, maybe a few thoughts on, on what the real big challenges are and what people should be focusing on if you're giving advice to CEOs and CFOs and CMOs, and yes, our digital health leaders within Chime, as we kind of approach this from a leadership imperative uh, to create the transformational, and you know, I say this all the time, revolutionary change needed to truly fix and save healthcare. Buddy, we'll start with you this time first. Okay, um, boy, that, I think you asked about 10 questions. <laughs> That's then. what I do. Yeah, which one do I wanna pull down? Um, well, when I talk about governance, I always try to toss the word shared in there. Uh, and I distinguish board level governance from, from management governance. So we're really talking about a shared leadership team, a team working together, making decisions together on some principles basis, meaning we've agreed to these are going to be the principles about how we'll do things for the sake and identity of who we are, meaning who our organization is. And there are ways to describe an organization's identity and its ability to invest in technology based upon a number of factors. And that's, that's the best way to start. Uh, it, it is a collaboration. Uh, you do need a real leader, often uh, the chief digital leader has to give that guidance. Although as much as the chief digital officer can give uh, the reins for those conversations to a chief operating officer or some other C-suite individual that really owns the business and where the change has to happen, that, I think, is always the best way to get there uh, so that you partner your way through that. Um, as to uh, managing a portfolio, you know, we could talk about, on one hand, risk scoring vulnerabilities. Okay? I mean, there's all kinds of vulnerabilities you find when you do a, a cyber assessment. 
But the next thing and the most important thing that follows that is, of course, doing a risk scoring and then being able to come up with, say, a heat map that describes uh, those things that need attention the most. Well, think of you know, a digital health portfolio the same way. You need a governance structure. You need uh, people talking about the many things that they would like to do going down the digital health path. And then you need a way of handicapping those items as to reality. I mean, how many of them are going to last or not, and therefore bring inherent risk into the portfolio um, by the fact that you don't know whether or not the investment's going to pay off. And for most health organizations, they need you know a pretty sure portfolio in terms of the things they're addressing, and yet most also want to have some elements of what we refer to as digital health included in that portfolio these days. The disconnect happens when you've got an appetite for a lot of the shiny objects that, you, that you're reading about and you don't have those sorts of grounded understandings that I was just expressing about how you then need to make your picks as to what you bring in. I was in a dialogue with somebody about digital front door, um, an organization I should say, and the CIO view of what was meant by the term was very different than what the CEO was intending with that. There's a lot of energy around hospital at home right now. Well, there is a lot of infrastructure, a ton of regulation and clinical process that has to be really, really be mapped very carefully to deliver hospital at home and deliver it well. And then virtual health. You know, virtual health is abound in all manner of use cases. So the key there, I think, is not to say, hey, we're going to go do virtual health, but find those few virtual health use cases that make the biggest difference to where you're trying to get to from a mission and strategy standpoint and spend your energy there and, and spend your energy well. All right. So I'm going to get you to focus a little bit, Carter, after all that and, and just say, <laughs> in the world of governance from a cyber perspective, what's a couple of really serious focus things people should be focusing on? As they try to govern and lead cyber. Yeah, and I, you know, I think just to just to put a capstone on what Buddy was saying, you know, when when you're modernizing your portfolio, right, you're taking that journey that we talk about of transformation. The two most important things are governance and, and strategy, in my view, and articulating that at an enterprise level, right, a multidisciplinary level. You're you're working with operations. You're look, working with clinicians, you're working with, uh, you know, supply chain, you're working with IT infrastructure, et cetera, uh, aligning that uh, with security and privacy and risk management becomes essential to, to the success of, of your governance and your, your strategy. And so it, it all sort of rolls down and then rolls right back up. And if you're able to, you know, sort of succeed with that, and this is this is why Buddy is a part of this organization. He sees this as an enterprise issue, you know, security, privacy, risk. It's not just in IT. It's not just in security. It's not just in, in risk management. This is an enterprise multidisciplinary challenge, and we're thinking of it in those means, and, and I, I hope that others uh, are and will be soon. All right, so we got our last question here together, and I'm going to frame this a little bit for you. Chime was founded 30 years ago. The year was 1992. I'm going to put it in a little perspective for you. Windows 3.1 was released that year. 
The JPEG standard was released that year. The Chicago Bulls won their second championship in a row. Although the internet was available, there was actually only 29 websites available on the internet. President Clinton was elected. It was the year of the LA riots. And it was the year Chime was formed. So as you think back over these 30 years, how far we've come, the technological advancements, the changes that we've seen, those type of things. But that's a great point of reference to think how far we've come. But now as we look forward, if the economists are right, we're moving into a fourth economic revolution. We're moving out of the information age into the AI age. We are in this bold new frontier as we exit the pandemic. Even with the fact that we're kind of in a, not kind of, we are in a recessionary period with high inflation, the future's still unbelievably bright. I'd love for you to put your futuristic hats on a little bit and kind of give us an idea of where you see us moving, where you see the changes coming. Uh, we don't need to go 10 years out because so much is going to happen before 10 years out. Maybe that three years out, five years out, as you see what we need to prepare for and what the cool changes you see coming. So Carter, we're going to start with you and then Buddy, you can wrap us up. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll go right back to kind of Buddy's comments on, you know, at home, virtual consumer centric care. I mean, this is what I'm excited about when you think about the technologies and you think about 5G and it's, you know, the opportunities it will provide, uh, you know, to just change the dynamic of how care is delivered. And I think if, if we think of it in terms of security, privacy is going to come back sort of, you know, to front and center in so many ways. And I am a, uh, you know, believer that we will eventually have a national privacy law. Uh, but, you know, those are the things that get me excited, but also what I challenge, you know, our team to start thinking about and getting ahead of, uh, you know, to serve, to serve our clients who have a strategy, who have a vision for how we're going to leverage the new technologies uh, to provide better care uh, you know, at, a, at a more efficient price, frankly. All right, buddy, bring us home here. What, 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 what do you see coming, bud? Well, I, I, I would say that digital consumerism is absolutely advancing. And if you blink, uh, it might just overtake you. Optum says we don't quite get it in healthcare that we've stuck with our business models for too long and we haven't been consumer-centered enough. And that's gonna be the challenge for the traditional providers who keep doing things the same way we've been doing them for decades. You know, retail has moved to e-tail. What we used to need to get done from a care delivery standpoint inside the walls, honestly doesn't need to happen that way unless we're having a true intervention in some form, you know, whether that be emergent or trauma, uh, surgical intervention, you know, something requiring, you know, uh, vascular interventional radiology or other things that we consider invasive. So many things of medicine and wellness now don't really require that we go into a clinic office setting or into a hospital to get that care. That care can be delivered virtual. Um, and if you don't believe it, just kind of take a look at who has entered into the healthcare space. Um, you know, whether that be, you know, CBS and, and how they've shifted from, you know, general supply chain and pharma 
uh, in the uh, pharmacy setting now to having their minute clinics. Certainly Walgreens is going down that path. Walmart, uh, Amazon, uh, you name it. There are so many enterprises who have taken what they know from an expertise standpoint in the area of global supply chain and e-tail and along with the capable analytics that they have on us as consumers, hence digital consumerism, have now begun adding the competencies specific to medicine, the practice of medicine, and uh, certainly health and wellness as well. Uh, those organizations that are the traditional providers uh, that are progressive, uh, and I won't begin naming them, uh, because I, I'll stand a chance of leaving one of our friends' organizations out, but they have blurred the payer and provider, you know, the health plan, plan provider walls uh, completely, virtual walls completely, and they truly do understand the notion of managing the wellness and health of the population. And with that are also the organizations that are doing the ventures with some of those organizations I've named who will continue on their own independent paths as well. And, and that will, by its very nature, move our industry in a paradigm shift. It may not happen in three years, but it's progressing in three years. And I think we'll be shaped very differently 10, 15, 20 years out. You know, things that we uh, saw on television in our, in our youth, you know, the idea of the tricorder, the idea of, you know, virtual and augmented reality. We didn't call it that. Uh, when we saw it on all the science fiction movies early on, the movement of, uh, of uh, supplies and other, and for that matter, even human beings uh, in an emergent way, via vehicles other than uh, those we think of today. And what I'm pointing to is drones and, and the onset of what's happening there. You know, I saw an interesting one the other day uh, where uh, there is a topical skin tattoo that's in clinical trials, uh, whereby you could get a tattoo that would help you uh, just by the color changes, understand where you're at in your diabetic spectrum, or if you were uh, moving toward a renal failure. And uh, you know, the, the, the possibilities, I believe, are only limited by the imagination. That's the way it's been in humankind for a long time. Um, and, and we're seeing a, a, a shift now no doubt a shift from what things look like for a long, long time in the healthcare sector. Well, gentlemen, I'll tell you what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for Rosie the Ro Robot from the Jetsons to show up to uh, <laughs> help me with my life, to say the least, because as crazy and busy as my life is, I need as much help as I can get. And so I think that also is kind of a testament to healthcare. We got to do everything we can to find a way to help all these caregivers and the people that support them to make their jobs a little less difficult. And I know y'all are working on that every day. So a special thank you to you both for being healthcare heroes, for truly being on the front lines and trying to help all of our members in Chime and everybody in our industry a little bit better. You are both wonderful human beings. Thank you. Thanks so much, Russ. Yeah, it's a real pleasure, Russ. Thanks for having us. Hey, we want to thank you also, our listeners, for joining us for this episode of the Chimes Leader to Leader podcast. As always, you can visit us on Spotify or at chimecentral.org forward slash media for this and all the podcasts from these great digital healthcare leaders. As we continue to deal with all the fun and challenges and yes, opportunities in our economy and in supporting healthcare, please stay safe 
and God bless.